With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to Face Off, and I'm your new host, Carl Wilkinson. Guy has graciously passed me over the reins for the forthcoming season. Those of you who like video games might recognize me as Guy's co-host on AI's game podcast, One Up. Those of you who don't might have heard me lend my voice to this very show in the past, but nonetheless... I'm looking forward to taking you through what's what's sure to be another great season, given what we accomplished last season. Those of you who aren't aware, you know, we, we may have finally given up the ghost and, and uh, conquered the, the Premier League after many, many a, a disappointing attempt. And today... We're just going to go through, through. I thought we'd kind of start off this, the, just in the pre-season, going through the squad, giving the players a bit of a discussion, talking a bit of transfer rumours. We, we know everyone likes, likes a bit of transfer talk in their summer. And I've got two great guests joining me today to, to bring you through that. So without further ado, I'll introduce them. My first guest today is Tadiwa Chanakira who is a panelist on Rate Don't Hate. How are you doing this morning, Tadiwa? Yeah, I'm good. Still not over the fact that we won it, so <laughs> I don't know if I ever will be. But yeah, looking forward to what should be a really good um, follow-up season to to being champions. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. It still feels a little bit surreal. I mean, even, I'm, even witnessing the celebrations, I, I don't think it was quite sinking in completely. I, th- I think that's that's to be expected, though, following how long we had to wait for it. And also joining myself and Tadiwa this morning is Simon Dowling, regular contributor to AI. How are you doing this morning, Simon? Yeah, not bad at all, yeah. I kind of feel how you both feel that it's still, it's hard for the league win to feel r- real when you can't actually, you can barely make it out to the pub to watch a match yet alone actually um watch the watch all the people around the world out on the streets and things like that so it still feels like um it might be next year before we can really let loose and uh be there with our pals and fellow reds yeah i i think the kind of Obviously, what's what's going on in the world at the moment with with uh, COVID obviously played a part as well in in how kind of the the title win was was perceived. Obviously, the lack of a, an open tour bus was um a ma- had a massive effect on that. 
and we hope obviously as the club has indicated that that um hopefully during the season at some point when it's safe to do so they they can have that that tour and uh, around the city and the fans will be able to celebrate with the players and um it, it might feel a lot more real at that point when when we get to witness that um but as i said today we're here to talk kind of through the squad and talk transfers and on that note we've already seen some deals done some some players have departed the club you know some some who've been with us for a few years so i guess we'll start there to discussing those now the first of those that that comes to mind is adam lalana he recently signed a three-year deal with brighton and hove albion following the end of his contract he was originally signed from southampton in 2014 for a fee of around 25 million he made 178 appearances for the club in all competitions across six seasons with 22 appearances coming last season. I mean, I'll, I'll start with you, Simon. Um, what, what's your thoughts on Lalana leaving? Do you think it was time for him to go? Yeah, I think it was probably time for him to go, maybe even last year. Um, he's struggled quite a lot with injuries, and I just think the way Klopp wants his players to play, I mean, you really need to be on your like really really fit and being able to do a lot more than just one thing and he was being played a little bit kind of in the front three at times as well and I think we've seen that with the likes of um of Origi as well just like when they're being asked to kind of do a lot more than normally they just start to struggle with that kind of play and um I mean he he did he did have his time when he was playing in midfield more and he was working really hard and pressing really well and he had that really nice spell but I think over the last year even a year and a half he's kind of faded now a bit and I think for his own football and for us it was uh, definitely the right move and I, and I hope he does well now at Brighton and he, he gets some minutes on the pitch and he can um, be a good influence there yeah, certainly. I mean, there, there was that, that period in 2016-17 uh, where he had kind of a three, four-month spell in that attacking midfield role, and, and he was excellent. And then I think he, he got um, injured, unfortunately, and then, you know, he came back from that, and he was moved out to the left to cover for Sadio Mane, who, of course, had departed for the month to the AFCON, and then, you know, he got injured again after that. It was just it almost sums up the story of his his Liverpool career, but nonetheless, you know he has had some important contributions for us, including obviously this season. Some would argue one of our more important goals, scoring the equaliser against Manchester United at Old Trafford. I mean, what, what what's your thoughts on on his contributions to Dewa? Yeah, it's a weird one because when Klopp first came in. It, it was clear to see that uh, Lolana was going to be important, or it, it felt like he was going to be important. Um, showed great energy, very technical player. That that's always going to help. Um, but I, I, I think for me, maybe my biggest issue with him is that I'm such a massive Sturridge fan, and the hate that Sturridge got for always being injured when he wasn't um, ever as injury-prone as Lalana always really irritated me. 
Um, if you looked over their seasons, Lalana was always unavailable for more games and stuff like that. So maybe that that's why I never really um, got behind Lalana as much as some of the other players. But I think for for the beginning of Klopp's tenure, I think he was really important. Um, I think he was also important just in and around the squad, um, being best friends with the the captain of the club as well, but also being a player that's willing, I think, to to be on the bench, um, willing to come on in any position and do the best that they can. Uh, I think that's so important for a club team, uh, especially a team that, you know, it's very difficult to have starting players and then to have players that are okay with being on the bench, but when they come on, they're not going to sulk. Or when they're on the bench, they're not going to sulk. They're going to try their hardest in training. They're going to try their hardest when they come onto the pitch uh, to the best of their abilities. And that's one of the hardest things to to get right for any team that's trying to build uh, a successful team. The likes of the Origis, the Lalanas, I think they're so important to the continuity of, of the club going forward where it's harmonious. Like it's, it's It could have been easy for Lalana to put up a fit and say, well, when Klopp first came in, I was so important. Now I've kind of been overshadowed. This is BS um, and just throws toys, toys out the pram. But he stayed true to being, you know, a, a team player and accepting his role. So I, I think that's admirable. But in terms of where the team is now going, I think it's fair to say that we had evolved past him and maybe he was, he was getting left behind a little bit. Um, I, I do think he's going to do great at Brighton. I'm happy for him. I, th- I think it's a solid move and he could be a, a team leader there. And, you know, he's been a team leader pretty much all of his career. You could argue maybe not at Liverpool, if you want to make that argument. But at Southampton, all the other clubs, he was always one of the first names on the team sheet and always one of the key leaders. So he's got those attributes and, and I wish him well for the rest of his career. Yeah, I'd certainly echo what you said in, in terms of his attitude this season being top-notch. As I said, he made 22 appearances, but the vast majority of those came off the bench, and, and sometimes they were mere cameos. But nonetheless, I, I always felt he, he he never kind of gave any interviews or anything to indicate he was unhappy with that position. And In fact, I think Klopp made it clear when Lalana signed his short-term extension to, to finish out the season that, that Lalana had said he didn't want to stand in the way of any of kind of the younger players breaking through and that kind of thing. And that is really admirable. And, you know, as I said previously, he did kind of, he came up with um, a very important goal and also an important assist. One of my favorite assists of the season as he used his shoulder. And that's not something you see every, every day. So, you know, you have to commend his attitude. And I think it's, I, I think Brighton is a good move for him. I mean, the style of football they play has been enjoyable to watch this season. And I, I think he could, could fit in well there. So, you know, I'd echo, as you said, we, I wish him the best there. And I, I hope that the move works out for him. Um, but another player that, also came from Southampton and coincidentally has also left on a free this summer is Nathaniel Klein, uh, released following the end of his contract. He signed from Southampton in 2015 for a fee of around 11 million. He made 103 appearances for the club. He, but he failed to make a single appearance in the last season following uh, a bad injury. I mean, Simon, what's your thoughts on 
decline. And again, you know, do you think it was time that, that he moved on, given how little he's, he's played for the club in the past two seasons? Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one with him because he's quite a good player actually, and he he did well. Um, he did well before. He's not he's not great going forward. I mean, he's kind of okay, but um, he's quite he's quite a reliable player. I I kind of always thought, and he'd be quite highly rated, but he just seemed to fall completely out of favor. And obviously, we have, I mean, Trent is probably one of the best right backs in the world but I mean it's still always nice to have the person on the bench who can who can kind of make sure that he's he's playing his best and can be rotated out and we didn't really we haven't really had a great right back um, option apart from kind of from our youth team so it was quite weird to not use someone who had a bit more experience who could pop in so it definitely um, I don't really understand why he wasn't used more but the fact that he's just been completely uninvolved and um, it's nice to just take him off the wage book and as we look l- look to maybe move t- towards bringing in some of those youth players in um, and betting them and so that they'll get more time on the pitch and um, so yeah it's it's a bit of i don't still really don't understand why he didn't feature as much but um Definitely for him, anyway. There's no point in really being there anymore if he's not even going to make the bench. Yeah, it it certainly seems a strange one. I mean, there there was suggestions of a, a falling out with Klopp, and you know we're we're not going to comment on any any rumors. But you know, it was quite striking that he he you know he was when he returned to the club following uh, his his layoff with injury you know he was training alone reportedly um you know he didn't seem to have any involvement at all with the the squad i mean I, i'm pretty sure he hasn't been involved with the squad since prior to his his loan move to to bournemouth in the previous season um but with that said you know i do i'm pretty sure his last appearance for us was against manchester united when he he came in when when trent was out and he actually put in quite a, a solid performance and you know gave a good account of himself and i i never think i never feel that was in doubt for Klein and that you know he'd always put it in and defensively he he was somewhat of a rock um and which was a, a a welcome sight to, to fans after, you know, we, we'd kind of had a bit, bit of a problem with right back following the, the departure of Arbeloa. So uh, I think Klein came in and, and filled that void somewhat. But as, as, as you said, Simon, he never quite did it in an, in an attacking sense. And I think that was frustrating for some fans. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on Klein to Dira? Yeah. Um, I think Simon summed it up really well. He, he was a solid defender, defensive player. Um, probably, you know, would have been more highly sought maybe in the early 2000s than the, the type of fullbacks we're starting to see in the game now. But yeah, I, I, I found it interesting that he got pushed away from the squad so quickly. And you have to wonder, as you say, we, we don't want to, you know, um, flame the, um, I feel the flames in terms of rumors and stuff like that. But we know the example of what happened with Mamadou Sako, where any any problems that rose up, Klopp is quite 
um, quick to stamp them out and move players on because of that. And I wonder if, you know, if, if, if in order to keep the squad harmony, that's why he was moved out. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. But I think also the thing for me is when, when he started coming back from injury last season, um, I thought it was going to work out really well for Clyde, um, for, for Trent, considering how involved Trent was with international tournaments now and the amount of games he had played for Liverpool. I actually thought that Clyde, they were starting Clyde's preseason kind of early in about like May, uh, late April, May, in order to make sure that he's ready to go at the beginning of the season just to maybe give Trent a little bit of a break and then bring Trent back into into the fold. And I thought that would that would help Trent, you know, just get a bit of a break because these some of these, especially the prominent international players, they don't really get much of a break. But so I, th- I think that injury for him came at a really horrible time because I do think that he was going to feature, maybe not as one of the main substitutes, but every now and then, you know, especially in cup games and stuff, you could throw Klein into any game and know he's going to give you even if it's just a James Milner performance where it might not be spectacular, it might, but it definitely won't be, you know, shockingly bad. And, and it, you, you know, you don't have to worry about him. Um, so I suppose for, for him personally, I think that must have been really frustrating. And then just his career as well, for his career as well. Um, I'm hoping that he can get back fully fit and sign up somewhere and, and see out the rest of his career. But in terms of this season, unfortunately, from the outside looking in, he wasn't really involved with the squad itself and definitely wasn't involved uh, on the pitch as well due to his injury. So you just have to wish him well and and, and hope that um, hope that he moves on to, to better things. Yeah, no no doubt he's been very unlucky with, with injury in the, the past couple of seasons. Having been arguably, you know, Mr. Reliable for, for Liverpool in his first three seasons, you know, he was never really seemed to miss a game. Um, hopefully, as, as you said, he can find his fitness and he can find himself a, a new club. I mean, he was linked with a move to Crystal Palace last summer prior to his injury. So maybe Roy Hodgson will take a, a look at him again. Um, they, they are kind of his, um, a previous club of his. So he'd, he'd probably find himself right at home there. Um, and the last of the, Southampton via Liverpool departures is Dejan Lovren. Uh, he signed a three-year deal with Zenit St. Petersburg. There was a reported fee of around £11 million. Signed from Southampton originally in 2014 for a fee of around £20 million. Made 185 appearances for the club across six seasons, including 15 appearances last season. He's a divisive figure and, you know, so some fans thought he was a, you know, a, a, a boyhood Liverpool fan kind of just giving it his all, but maybe sometimes his all wasn't good enough. Other fans almost seen him as, as somewhat of a, a villain, um, because of, you know, between mistakes he's made on the pitch and mistakes he's made behind a microphone. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on Dejan Lovren, Simon? And, and do you think it was a, a good move for, for all parties? Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I wouldn't be his biggest fan. I'm definitely more, um, air toward his errors both on and off the pitch. And he's definitely annoyed me quite a lot. Um, 
he has had his little moments here and there. I mean, obviously, he'll be remembered for his uh, fantastic header against Dortmund. That was a really, really good moment for him. And it felt like maybe that might have been, uh, could have kind of almost turned him around a little bit. But he just, it was almost like he just tried too hard or he just thought he was better than everyone else. And he, he just couldn't do the basic things well, and he just he or he just make really really bad errors far too often, and um, it's it's hard. I mean, it's just hard to make up for such a large amount of errors that have cost us quite a lot in the past, and um, I just think as well, kind of like with Adam Adam Lan as well, we've kind of moved past them, I think, and just i don't know i i it's just so hard to trust him and every time he was named in the team you could nearly feel the whole world just just being like ah something's gonna happen you know he's gonna do something really bad here just make one error and he more than often did unfortunately and you do have to feel a little bit bad for him but he didn't really um he didn't make it easy to like him (laughs) which is a bit mean but um and he had some good pals in the team, and obviously Mo and him were best mates, and that's obviously a bit of a, a sad thing to kind of see. But they've it seems like they've continued their uh, online friendship anyway, and um, there's been some interesting recent interview with Lovren there. I was just reading where he said that he intentionally elbowed Ramos because he uh, had intentionally injured Mo Salah. So that's a uh, Always fun, um, not nice bit of revenge. But yeah, I, I'm really, really happy that he's left us, and um, I'm happy that we got a little bit of m- money firm and a little bit of wages off the books. And I just really hope that we buy. Though I think we definitely need to buy in a person to kind of be our fourth pick there behind Matip, um, just to have that extra man we can depend on but yeah I am very happy that he's left and I wish him the best of luck even though I don't really like the guy <laughs> yeah I mean I think that uh, kind of sums up how how uh, kind of stark um, our fans opinions on, on this player <laughs> Have been. I mean, we can say past tense now that he's 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 moved on. Um, no, I I understand where you're coming from there. He he had a very strange, much like Adam Milan. It was, it's been a very strange career at at the club. It's been up and down. He's had some good spells, but he's had a lot of injuries. He's had some some bad spells. Um, I I, did, I also um read up on that interview you were referring to, and you know there there were some interesting points. I mean, Lovren talked about how he um broke the rules to go to sneak down to the fan celebrations outside uh, Anfield when we won the title, and uh, he was he was spotted uh, by a handful of fans when his mask slipped. Um, he also talked about kind of the the negative side of the fans and and kind of some of the the opinions on them over the years. I mean, to do uh, do we, do we sometimes have to remember that that uh, footballers are are human when it comes to kind of our our um, opinions on them? Yeah, I think that's definitely something that always gets forget forgotten about. Um, and and they do, you know, like every single one of us 
have issues uh, in life, you know, good days, bad days, happy days, sad days, and yet they're only judged on what they do on the pitch and, and sometimes obviously what they do off the pitch, but predominantly what they do over 90 minutes of time, irrespective of, you know, let's say, you know, you, you've heard of stories of players who's, you know, maybe have had family issues, but that's not only been reported after the season, after they've already been, you know, criticized and lambasted about their performances. So it's always something that is forgotten. I, I think when it comes to Lovren, the, the interesting thing is I've always found that he was one of Klopp's projects. Um, you can throw Lalana in there too, I suppose, if you want to. But Lovren on paper is a really good defender. He's got everything you want from a defender. He's front, he's a front foot defender, dominant in the air, fairly decent with the ball at his feet, commanding in terms of um, speaking. You know, you there was a famous thing of his first preseason game. I think we were playing Dortmund, funny enough, um, for Lovren's first preseason game. And when they were doing the warm-ups, the only voice you could hear was Lovren and he was marshalling the line and screaming and shouting and, you know, all the good things that you want from a centre-back. And I suppose especially at that time when maybe it's Lovren psycho combination, one of them needs to be the one that talks and Lovren then took that role up. So when you look at all of that, there's not really much he doesn't have um, to be a centre-back, but then it doesn't necessarily always get applied in the best way on the pitch. I think, I think, to me, he comes across as a player that because he's so good on paper, he's always been told he's really good, and he kind of believes his own hype too much. So he tries to do way too much, and ends up, you know, messing up because of that. Um, so I think for Klopp, the fact that the, what he saw on paper of the player, Klopp is first and foremost a coach. Than, than a manager or anything like he loves coaching players he loves developing players and I think he was really really keen to take up the challenge of bringing out the best in Dejan Lovren and we could see with the amount of minutes that Lovren got the amount of praise that he got um, not just from Klopp but from the teammates as well it's clearly something that's always being said in the dressing room so from that perspective it was interesting but because he was never able to fully do it on the pitch, especially at a consistent level, I'm happy that he's left because it takes that away from Klopp. It takes that option away from Klopp. Sometimes you have to take players away from managers. Otherwise, if, if Lovren is available, Klopp's going to play him a lot more than most people would want him to, to be played. Same with Lalana. Um, there were many times where we were saying, throw one of the kids on. And then you just see Lalana taking off his warm-up top and you're like, oh, come on, man. Like, so he's just one of those players. Um, in terms of his Liverpool career, he, he had that really big high with the, with the Dortmund game. There were some games where he was really, really key, but he just wasn't consistent enough for me. And that consistency now at the level that we're at where we basically can't lose a game, you can't rely on players like that. And on top of that, his injury record wasn't the greatest either. So, you know, pick a struggle, dude. You you can't, <laughs> you know, at, at least be available all the time. Then maybe it, it, it could have justified keeping him around to say he knows the system. He knows how everything works here. 
if one of our players goes down, we're going to throw him in. Um, in terms of off the field stuff, I, I really don't want to get into that. Um, you know, it's, it's there for anyone to go and look at if they want. But yeah, he, he's gone on. Um, Mo maybe has found a new best friend and someone we're going to speak about a bit later on, uh, one of the new signings. But Lovren's already scored a goal. He's already won a cup at Zenit. So it's, it's, it's a great start for him there. Um, good luck to him. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo everything you've you've said there in terms of his career and also in in wishing him well for the future. As you said, he's he's not off to a bad start, so maybe Zenit will be a, a nice twilight club for him, you know, as he as he heads into his thirties. Um, but without further ado, let's move on to the arrivals or the arrival. Liverpool signed Kostas Simakas from Olympiakos for a reported fee of 11.75 million. He's a 24-year-old left-back. He established himself in the Olympiakos team during the 18-19 season following loans with Esbjerg in the Danish Superliga and Willem II in the Eredivisie. He has three caps for the national side following his debut in the 18-19 season and there, there, there's been a little bit of a kind of a mini saga in regards to, to Liverpool and, and pursuing a backup left back this summer. We reportedly failed with a £10 million bid for Jamal Lewis with Norwich wanting £20 million. Supposedly the clubs just couldn't meet in the middle. There was also reported interest in Sergio Regalon of Real Madrid he spent last season on loan with Sevilla and reportedly has a price tag of up to £30 million. And I recently listened to Scouted with Dave and Dave had a guest on Temis Casares from Sport24 and he indicated that the first bid for Simicas actually came in prior to the reported bid for Lewis but was kept quiet due to Olympiakos's taking place and taking still being involved in Europa League competition against Wolves that coming week. I mean, I'll stick with you to Diwa and give you the first word on, on this signing. I mean, what's your, have you, do you know much about the player? I'll be honest. I've only seen him a couple of times and you know, I, I didn't really take note of him. So what, what's your opinion on him coming in was left back an area that, that really needed addressing and, you know, how do you think he compares to the other two players there that, that were linked with, with uh, the club? I think in terms of value of signing, I thought it was probably the most important signing we needed to make this summer, a backup left back, purely because all the other positions, it's more about can we improve than necessarily we don't have. And when you consider that our backup left back was probably James Milner, who is someone that's aging, you know, everyone is aging, but at his age, it, it, you know, it's um, the drop could be drastic and it could be at any point in time. So that position needed to be solidified. If you've got up front, you say you've got the Origis and Shakiris and stuff. Obviously, you want to improve on that, but at least you know what you've got there and th- they play those positions in uh, week in, week out for the most part. So it was really important to get someone in who when Robinson isn't playing or when Robinson isn't in the greatest form, which we saw a spell of last season um, where it seemed like he was struggling to get involved in games and, and, and pick up his own game. 
you need someone, one, to challenge him, and two, to be able to come in and say, you know, Robo, just take a bit of a break. Um, sometimes players need that. Sometimes they need to just not be starting every single week just to recollect themselves and, and then come back in. It's not an indictment on their careers or their quality as players. It, it just happens sometimes, as you're alluding to also when it comes to their human beings as well. So I thought it was really important that we got that deal over the line. In terms of Timmy, I think the important thing for him is that he's, for me, he's far better than what than the Robertson that we got from Hull in terms of mentality. Um, you know, no disrespect to Hull, but playing for Hull versus playing for Olympiakos and then having to make a jump to Liverpool, I think it's easier to cross that bridge from Olympiacos to Liverpool where the expectations are you have to win every game opposed to Hull where the expectations are maybe we don't have to lose this game, not necessarily we have to win it. So that is an important jump. Um, and, and the fact that that jump is not as big is really important for him. He's also got European experience. He's also got experience in playing two games a week which is all stuff that Robertson didn't really have. And if you look at stylistically the player he is, he's definitely a ball carrier, which is what we need from the left-hand side if you're going to have Trent on the right. Um, you need someone that's willing to go up and down that channel, comfortable with the ball, getting crosses in, not necessarily being the playmaker, but, but being a provider from out wide with bags of energy. And and that's exactly what he's going to bring to the team. Probably a bit more dribbling than Robertson, which could be an interesting um, development in terms of squad rotation. If if let's say you say the two sets of centre-backs in an ideal situation, I mean the two sets of full-backs in an ideal situation are always going to be Trent plays with Robbo, Neko plays with Simi. Then you can get... Simi to come in because he's more comfortable dribbling with the ball the play would now shift more to the left hand side of the pitch than necessarily when Robertson and Trent are on the pitch where predominantly it's on the right hand side of the pitch so it gives that nice counterbalance or if we want to change which side of the pitch we're going to be attacking from more you could bring Simi on or have him start and it maybe gives a bit more balance there so that's going to be really interesting to see. And, you know, the thing for me is I would be absolutely, absolutely ecstatic if, you know, at some point in the season or even from the first game of the season, could you imagine, if Timmy is starting ahead of Robertson? Because for me, that tells me this guy is insanely good. Because, you know, if you're starting ahead of Robertson, you know the guy is freaking talented. And that, that's what I always love about players coming in maybe as backup players, but they're coming in with the mentality of, I'm going to take that that starting spot. I'm going to have that starting jersey. Because to take Robertson out of that Liverpool team, you're going to have to be probably the best left back in the world. So if he reaches those levels, it only benefits Liverpool. But also, I think because it's a position that's so important now in football, uh, fullbacks, it allows us to do kind of what Spurs did a couple of seasons ago where you've got two capable players playing in that position so you can rest and rotate them a lot more 
not necessarily to get them out of rhythm or anything like that, um, but just to give them breathers at key points in the season. And especially in this season, that's going to be quite a rush season. I think it's going to be really important to give players a break at the right time. And of course, the best thing about the move, I guess, is God forbid if Robertson gets injured, we're not all panicking you know, at the level we would have if we don't have a natural left back that we know can come in and has European experience and has p- experience playing for a top club in in a country. Obviously, the jump to English football is going to be a bit of a big jump um, in terms of the quality of opposition he's going to face week in, week out. But I think the fact that he's coming in as a backup is going to help him to grow into that position. There's no pressure on him whatsoever, especially because of the price tag that we got him in. So that also allows him to just grow uh, in in the way that Klopp usually likes players to grow, where you bring them in slowly. If they get it straight away, cool, you're going to play games. If you don't get it, it's okay. We've got time. We'll help you get it, and you you know you'll be on your way soon enough. And then in terms of the Lewis bid, I think that's just um, what we've seen from Liverpool since FSG have come in uh, come into the fold. That you know um, we have to remember that these guys um, were newspaper pub- publishers as well in 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 their group of investments that they have and they're very good at, at driving a narrative and if you look at the close friends of fsg which is new england patriots and and the Kraft family the patriots are the masters of driving the narrative as well so you can see there's influence there coming from that perspective bidding 10 million for Lewis, we knew that bid was going to get rejected. Before we even bid for a player, you've already spoken to the agent. You've already sussed out what he thinks the club is going to want to get the player out of there. I know in inverted commas and on the, you know, the strict rules of, of the game, you have to speak to the club first before you speak to the agent. But that's just not how it works in reality, if, if, if we're going to be honest. Um, so Liverpool knew from the get go 10 million was not going to be enough. So there's only two reasons we would have gone out and bid 10 million and not just bid 10 million, but make sure that our journalists are reporting it well before anyone else does. And we already know our journalists usually don't say we've bid on a player. All they do is shut down bids that we've supposedly made. So what that does is either you want the player and you come in with a low offer so that it drives, it tries to put that club under pressure that, oh my God, Liverpool's coming for me. Guys, you guys are asking for ridiculous money from Lewis's side. Lower your price, you know, and he puts pressure on them. Or it's saying to the club you're currently negotiating with, look, if you guys don't want to give us the player that we, we want from you for this amount of money, we'll go across the road and, and, and get uh, our player that's number two on the list or three on the list or four or whatever. So it, it's just creating that narrative, you know, d- depending on how the club saw it, which strategy they were using. But it was definitely a ploy. I, I, for my money, I don't think that we were ever serious. Obviously, if the Timmy deal doesn't work out, we'll probably go with a decent deal um, offer for Lewis. But in terms of who we really wanted, I think Timmy was number one. Otherwise, we would have come in with bids that were a lot less insulting than $10 million for for what it's worth. Yeah, I certainly see where you're coming from on that. And I think it's an interesting point you brought of, of the benefit, uh, you know, the knock-on effect of the deal in that, you know, in, in us not seceding to Norwich's 
demands of 20 million pound you know we we put down a marker there that you know we're we're always going to have another option you know that that we're going to pay the price we expect to pay not the price that the the selling club is necessarily requesting and i think that's very important in a market in which you know some of our rival clubs in in the form of chelsea and manchester city appear to be going out and and just kind of paying what clubs want for their players you know the last thing we want is is to go to a selling club and for them to expect us to be doing the same and not that that's anything new obviously you know that the, a lot of our important players in the squad right now were were allegedly plan b's and including the likes of um Sadio Mane and even Mohamed Salah, um, two, two of our, our star men. So I think that says it all. But it's important that we we continue to to say, you know, you know, we're we are Liverpool, and and that's the way we deal in the transfer market. So I'd, I'd certainly agree with that point and and the importance of that. Now, in terms of Simicas, as I said, I I didn't see much of him this season. I think I've seen him a couple of times, most recently against Wolves, but. Strangely enough, he did play against English opposition three times this season. Obviously, he played a, a couple of games against Arsenal, a couple of games against Tottenham, and uh, a sole game against Wolves, which means that, you know, so some Liverpool fans might have seen more of him than they may have seen of, of previous players that, that come from alleged lesser leagues you know no no disrespect to the to the greek league but it's it's not quite on on the the level of the premier league um and a, a friend of mine did happen to see all of those games and you know he's been full of praise for like he's not a liverpool fan he has no horse in this race but he's been full of praise for Simicas, and you know he he thinks that liverpool are, are likely to have two of if not the best left backs in the league and he thinks Liverpool looked out whatever the the case with Jamal Lewis whether Jamal Lewis was plan A or a smoke screen or whatever the case may be he thinks Liverpool have gotten the better player in Simicast rather than Lewis I mean what are what are your thoughts on that Simon you know do, do you know much about Simicast and you know kind of what are, what are you expecting from the signing yeah, I'd be like you, Carl. I didn't really know too much about him, um, but I listened to that um, the Dave the Dave Hendrick pod, and after listening to that, I was very excited because um, I can't remember the name of the person who he was interviewing, but he was full of praise from both of the the type of the type of player that he is, and also the fact that he always wants to win and he wants to kind of just be the best he can be and he seems to be the perfect fit both on and off the pitch which is definitely a very important factor to us I mean you saw those little the videos of the of uh of our team on the bike and he he seems to be have formed a good friendship with Mo which is very important so like he, he feels like he already has that feeling of being one of the lads and I think as you've both mentioned it's very important to have a person who can kind of come in and make and make Andy Robertson play his best because he has had a few matches this year where he hasn't been great but there's no one there who's better than him so it's almost like he can be bad and it won't really matter but now he's gonna know that he has a person who could be quite close to him on in terms of his level 
waiting in the wings. So if he was to get a run in the team, um, Robert Robertson may well find himself on the bench, and that's and that's going to make him have to be even better. So I think it's always nice to have. Um, you want to be in that spot where when you bring a person on or you want to rotate that you don't dip the level too much and that they also play in the same way. And from what I've heard about him, it seems like um, he's the same type of left back as Robertson and he has that same attacking drive. He can defend quite well. He seems to be a very much a workhorse. Um, he seems to want to be to be the best and he wants to win. So I think it's um really, really good thing and the fact that we didn't spend that much money on him and the fact that um it's just it was a very important spot to fill because we didn't really have a backup left back and now we have um as you said we may have the two best left backs in the league um and we didn't have to spend 180 million like a certain pep did so that's always a, a nice benefit yeah certainly i think the price tag is is important but both of you touched on that i, I mean i think it's um it's a good deal. There's a lot of room for value as a result. And I think it puts a little less expectation as, as Tadiwa indicated. And I think that's important. I mean, not that I don't think, you know, Klopp piles too much expectation on new signings. He tends to ease them in. I mean, Robertson himself had to wait a few months to, to kind of make the position his own as, you know, we've seen possibly a, a renaissance period for Alberto Moreno, much to the light of, of, uh, of Guy Drinkle. Um, but I think that that is important, nonetheless, that, that the price tag is low and it puts a little less expectation on him and, and his perceived position as, as being the sub, although it's not to say that he, he couldn't surpant Robertson in the months to come, who, who's to know, despite how, how good Robertson is. And, and I think, you know, if, if one game could possibly sum up the need for a player I think it might have been um, kind of the return fixture against Everton following Project Restart in, in which we were sorely missing that outlet on the left and you know it was all coming down the, the right through Trent so uh, I think it's very important that we, we have another option there for when Robertson is out or has a dip in form or so I, I think that the signing myself is a, a no brainer and I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what Simicus can bring in, in the coming season. Um, but let's, let's move on to discussing kind of the, the squad overall, you know, we'll, we'll go through it section by section, kind of comment on certain players that, that could be leaving and, and maybe is there a need for, for signings in those positions. So we'll, we'll start with goalkeepers. Now, I don't think Allison needs much discussion. I think, you know, all we'd be saying is hopefully he, he is available more this season. I mean, he, he made a, a good attempt at the Golden Glove despite been missing for a notable amount of games last season. So we just hope that uh, he puts that behind him and, and is, is more available this season. But when he was out, obviously we needed someone to deputize and Adrian stepped in. He tended to do quite well in the league. You know, he was a respectable deputy, but he was arguably questionable in both our FA Cup and Champions League exits. He was linked with a return to his native Spain during the season, but those links appear to have died down and apparently he is set to stay, according to the Echo. Um, what's your thoughts on 
Adrian as a as a backup keeper to do and do you think it's somewhere we need to improve or are you satisfied with Adrian in that role I I think I'm satisfied with him either him or Carrius to be fair I'm satisfied with either I think the only thing is probably Carrius has good value in the market compared to Adrian and we could probably get some at least our money back from him and also there's always the fact that people are humans so Anytime he gets on the pitch, there's always going to be that nervousness that people have, even though he's, you know, he's not as bad as people are making him out to be. And especially the fact that he's now become like a meme just makes it worse. But in terms of Adrian, look, he was never expected to play as much as he played this season. And to pull off the season that he did, I thought he did tremendously well. Um, You're not expecting your backup keeper to be carrying you, in, well, in terms of the goalkeeping side of things, carrying you through the first part of the season, more so a keeper that came in at the last hour and kind of was like, okay, I'm just going to be, I could imagine him on the Norwich game just sitting there with his feet up, like, yeah, this is this is going to be quite a cool season in terms of getting to watch some awesome football, get to train with the club, not really that much pressure, maybe try and go for a Carabao Cup, FA Cup Helping that and 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 when those those are the tournaments he would he would have been focusing on, and then you know during the first game hardly been in and around the team he's being thrown onto the pitch, so that alone must have been just insane and and for him to hold the fort for as long as he did I thought I thought he did tremendously well. Not many second choice goalkeepers could have kept us up there at at, at the top for that long. Um, when it came to the Champions League, the moment I saw Allison wasn't playing, I, I said to many people, I, I don't see us winning because Atletico was the one team I didn't want to play any at any point in the Champions League, maybe in the final. But I always thought it's it's a perfect Klopp foil team, and in order to beat that team, we would have had to have our best in terms of Allison because Allison is not going to make the mistakes that other keepers make. And Allison's probably going to pull off a lot of saves that other keepers aren't going to make. And he's usually the difference in those type of games where, you know, player for player or squad for squad rather than system for system, they're pretty well matched when you think of Simeone's system and Klopp's system. Obviously, player for player, we would always favor Liverpool players over Atleti players and more so, you know, it's tradition for English football to always favor the English team ahead of, you know, any other team just because they're the English team were kind of cocky like that as a league to, I think that's fair to say. But if you look at that team, I thought we needed Allison. So I, I was kind of dejected the the moment I found out he was out of the, the fixture. It's just unfortunate that those were the type of mistakes that Adrian made. I, Maybe it would have been better to take if it's like, you know, a 25-yard screamer or something like that, that possibly Allison gets to, but Adrian doesn't, then you say fair enough. But just the lack of concentration just showed why we need Allison so much. Yeah, we, I hope he stays fit the whole season. But in terms of backups, uh, I don't think there are many better backups around, if, if we're being fair. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you can talk about a, a one-off cup fixture and it's it's harsh to judge any player on that while, you know, the league is where the consistency has to lie and I think he was fairly consistent in the league. So, you know, I'd echo what you said in, in that I'd be, be satisfied and 
with him as as the deputy. Um, but Tadiwa also mentioned Karius there, and, and he is, of course, linked with a move away, reported £5 million price tag, with Montpellier holding a reported interest, but apparently their record transfer doesn't even reach £5 million. So um, we, we might be holding our breath there. Um, as Tadiwa said, Karius is no doubt a talented player, but I, I think that Champions League final is a nightmare that even the, the most seasoned pro would would find hard to put behind them um if carriers goes we're, we're going to be in need of a, a third keeper is is it going to be Quivin kelleher now that um andy lanagan has has moved on i mean what are your thoughts on carrier simon and, and what do you think on the the question of a, a third keeper do, do we have to bring someone in or is, is kelleher sufficient carriers i i was actually always a like a, well, wasn't a big fan of him, but I was. I felt it was so bad, bad for him after uh, that um, match against Real, and I thought, I mean, he showed a lot of promise, but I, I just don't know. I'm not even sure if it's him who needs to move past that, or if it's our fans. You can just imagine him playing a game and the stadium. Well, if there are fans back at that time you know you could you, you you'll almost be able to feel them holding their breath every time he has the ball and it, it, you know if he makes one small error they'll be calling for his head and so it's hard to imagine if he has the mental strength to kind of ignore that and to move past that but I think he is a pretty good player and I would have liked to see him stay with us but if we can get a bit of money for him, it might be the small move to get rid of him because, uh, as you both said, Adrian is fine. He's a, he's he's a good enough backup. I don't really see much of it. Like I wouldn't really mind if it was him as the backup or 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 Carius as the backup. And then Kelleher has I haven't been impressed with him at all. But we haven't really seen enough of him. I mean, it's quite hard to just throw him in you know to any matches and um nobody's really like but he hasn't looked like he's going to be that like he's going to really knock on he's probably one that i think will look to move on so but him being a third pick i don't think he's going to really need to feature that much hopefully allison will stay fit and we won't need to depend on um on our third backup but you look like if you can get a bit of money for Carious, then I think that is the best play. But if it looks like no one will buy him, then um, just got to hope that he can push on through because I do think he has the talent to be the best backup that we have. Um, if he can just move past the final, and hopefully our fans won't hold on to that match. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the, there is the argument to, to have competing backups. I mean, it looks like uh, Tottenham might be doing this that this season with their recent signing of Joe Hart to to compete um, for for that uh, second place berth behind uh, Hugo Lloris. So that that is something we could potentially look at doing if if no one meets the the reported price tag for Carius. Um, but it will be interesting to see what what we do in in terms of that. Um, third choice goalkeeper um but moving on to the fullbacks um we've we've already discussed robertson and and simicaster so we'll we'll 
jump ahead to um, the right backs. Of course, the arrival of, of Simakas means that uh, another left back, Larucci, is is likely to depart. There's reported interest from championship clubs, including Brentford, who are apparently leading the race. Um, so hopefully Larucci finds himself a, a nice new home there and, and some regular football. But we'll talk about the right backs. I, I think Trent kind of speaks for himself. You know, he, he won Young Player of the Year. Um, another excellent season for him in which he was a, a key man in, in the title win. But kind of in the latter part of the season, we, we've seen a, a deputy emerge for Trent from, from out of our, our youths in the form of, of Neko Williams. And he even made some some starts towards the end of the season and and impressed in doing so. I mean, what have been your thoughts on Neko so far to do? And do you think he's ready to be that backup right back that that we've needed? I've been really excited by him. Um, <laughs> it was quite funny because you could see he was desperate to score a goal. Um, so there were quite a few shots that he took. Maybe he should have passed the ball, but it's it's. It's been a surprise for me in terms of our youth or academy players who would probably burst into the first team next. Um, obviously, Curtis Jones, highly rated, but you would probably look at the likes of Brewster ahead of Nico Williams coming in. But I suppose needs must, and, and we needed a backup right back. And, you know, I wasn't too big a fan of... Gomez going back back to right back. I I, I want to keep him central and you know avoid any potential injuries of him running up and down the pitch the whole time. So I was very excited for him coming in. I think in terms of spirit and energy and um, applying himself to the game, he's got that in in bags. And it's good to see a young hungry player coming in that isn't necessarily as flashy as everyone else or maybe as hyped up uh, by everyone else he's you know it seems like a player that just gets his head down comes on the to the pitch does his job you know finishes goes home and has a cup of tea or something he doesn't come across as like maybe necessarily a party animal or anything like that so so i've i've been really happy with him and i'm more than happy for him to continue as the deputy right back i think it's a nice blend having two young right backs Obviously, there's the concern of who do they really learn from if if they're both still young. Um, but uh, I, I've got enough faith in our coaching staff that they can they can help them with that aspect of it. And yeah, it will be interesting to see him grow next season. I think he's comfortable on the ball. He's always showing for the ball and being available for it. Obviously, not at the levels of. Trent and Robbo, but he's got time to grow. He'll be fine. Um, I'm happy for him to be the deputy. Yeah, it's certainly not a nice feeling to be able to look at the squad and see that we have two right backs and two left backs, and we're not going to be needing to drag midfielders or, or centre halves into those positions. And, and you know, the likes of Joe Gomez and James Milner can can stay where they're comfortable. It, it is certainly a nice position to be in. Um, we'll move on to the centre backs. Obviously, you know, Van Dijk and Gomez were were the two main men last season. You know, Matip certainly had some good spells. He was voted player the the month in September I believe and you know he he um played excellently at the kind of 
restart, but then unfortunately got injured. Um, you know, we're we're quite happy with those three. You know, I think that's that's uh, tends to be the the um, opinion across the the fan base for the most part. But Simon, you you mentioned earlier when we were talking about Dejan Lovren that the need for for a fourth choice there. Now the other three centre halves in the squad currently are Hover, Vandenberg, and Nathaniel Phillips. You know, do do you feel any of those three are potentially ready? to step into that position and and if not you know is there any particular name you've seen batted about as a, as a link that that's caught your interest um well I, I did have hopes for Vandenberg and however when we first bought them but they I mean it's hard again to say like Kelleher they haven't really featured much and I was hoping um once we had the league wrapped up that maybe we'd see some players like that get a bit more time now we did obviously see Williams coming at Ryan left back a little bit and he really did impress as you both mentioned but I I, I would have liked to have seen uh, Van de Berg or or, or Hoiver who've both had a lot of kind of hype around them and they've been pegged as being kind of like the next thing and stuff but it's um, I, I just wonder if it's maybe still a little bit too early and maybe we'd be better to try and um, Get them a loan move, uh, either in like the, either in the Premier League or um or in the top league in Europe somewhere. It'd be just nice to see what they can do at um at a better level than the youth squad. So perhaps it could be, I mean, with the injury that we have um with Matip and Gomez are both seem to pick up injuries quite often I think you could be taking a little bit of a risk if you were to maybe depend on an untested youth like that so it could be better to sign someone that haven't really seen too much um, defenders that we've been linked with I'm not really sure which direction we should go with that but maybe it might be best to bring in maybe someone a little bit older like who's either around their peak or a little bit after their peak, who can just kind of be a, a option as our fourth backup, who can just kind of hop in and you'll know what they'll do. Um, uh, just someone who can bring a little bit of experience like that, I think. But in terms of actual names of people, I, I, I wouldn't really, I haven't really heard, we haven't really been into too many. There was one person, but I actually can't remember his name now. Um, I hadn't heard of him before. So yeah, I'm not really sure of anyone who we've been linked with in that spot but it would be nice to bring in some especially we could get someone a little bit older maybe on a free transfer and um, could be it could be interesting yeah certainly i could, could certainly see the point about replacing lovren almost like for like in terms of age and, and experience um could, could be a good move on that front um, but I, I suppose time will tell on, on what, how Klopp wants to address that position. Um, but we'll, we'll move on to the midfield. Um, obviously both our captain Jordan Henderson and, and Fabinho had notable seasons and, and were important, you know, at, at, particularly at different stages of the season in, in that, those midfield roles. Um, I, I think Keita and Ox, we, we just, I personally, I'd just be hoping that they can feature more next season because obviously, um, both, both have had their injury troubles. Um, you know, we talked about how James Milner will no longer be needed in that left back 
kind of deputy position. So we we might see a little bit more of him in the, in the midfield in this coming season, especially with Adam Lallana having moved on. And obviously we'll we'll be hoping that Curtis Jones will will kick on from his almost breakout season. Um, but there is one player that there there is a bit of a shadow over his future, and that's um, Genie Wijnaldum. He's yet to extend his deal. Supposedly there's a deal there, but he's in no rush to sign. There is reports the club aren't open to a sale and, and will keep him until the end of his deal if necessary. But he was recently linked to Barcelona following the appointment of, of Ronald Koeman. I mean, what are your thoughts on Genie today? Where should we, we cash in if he's not willing to, to sign? And, you know, if he moves on, is, is a replacement required? We, we will discuss a certain player a little later uh, that, that may be linked with that role. I, I don't know if how strong those Barcelona links are, to be fair. I think it's just something that always happens when a, a certain manager goes to a certain team. Like, you know, the Dutch manager going to... Barcelona. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Van Dijk links at some point in time as well. Just, you know, it's just one plus one equals two. It seems with those type of rumors. If it does become an option for Barcelona, then I personally would be looking to sell him now, purely because of the financial situation at the club. And and I say that, you know, not saying it as like, okay, we're in trouble, we're, we're going into debt or anything like that, or going into administration or anything like that, but. Just in the sense that with the trajectory that we've been going in terms of, you know, growing the club financially, I don't know if we can afford to, to leave 30 million on the, ta- on the table. Um, I, th- I think it would, I think it would benefit us to let him go for that 30 million fee and bring in a replacement, you know, options we can discuss a bit later on. But, just the thought of him leaving on a free next season, unless maybe Klopp has just said, look, we need continuity this season. There's not a lot of time to, you know, have a preseason with anyone coming in. Even, you know, the guys that came in early in Vodacomas like Timmy, he's barely going to have two weeks, three weeks with the squad and, and you've got community shield and the season is up and running. So, for a player that's very involved in the team on the pitch, like Genie is, replacing him um, is is going to be really difficult. I think maybe that's just the the plan of of the club is that continuity is more important than than money at the moment uh, from that perspective. But yeah, if 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 it was my choice, I'd be looking to let him go because I don't see that he's going to be signing a new contract. He would have if he wanted to by now. And I don't blame him for not signing a new contract, you know, really close to 30, if not 30 years old by now. And he's going to, this is the biggest contract he's ever going to get in his career coming from, you know, he's, he's a Premier League champion, Champions League champion. And, you know, um, at his age, the contracts only start going down from here. He's going to be 30 in on the 11th of November. So contracts only start going down from now. So this is going to be his biggest time to capitalize. And as we say, with the theme of players being humans, you got to think about the future as well. You know, I'm sure he's, I hope he's done well with his money, but in terms of capitalizing on getting your last payday in, in the game, your last big payday, going on a free transfer means he's going to have a lot more in terms of a signing bonus, a higher signing bonus, and he probably could 
demand higher wages as well because the club won't have to pay a transfer fee. So I think from Genie's perspective, he's happy to stay for the year if you if if Liverpool want to keep him because it just means he's going to get more money next year when he when he gets to pick his club. Or if he's leaving, that's fine. I you know I, I wasn't signing anywhere, so I can leave now. And leaving Liverpool for Barcelona, like it, it's not a bad deal. Yeah, certainly. I, I think a, a lot kind of remains in the balance on on Genie there in in terms of kind of that 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 potential new contract. Um, but I mean, given that he has a, a very good value um, for his his age and and only having. Ten months left on his contract, um, it, it could 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 be a, a good time to cash in, especially with um, supposed potential replacements that are that are there for us if if we want them. Um, another midfielder linked with a move away is is Gruyage. He, he spent the last few seasons out on loan. Supposedly, Hertha Berlin are keen to make the the loan deal permanent, but are reportedly. Uh, only offering 13 million, which is shy of our apparent 20 million price tag. So we'll, we'll have to see how that one develops. Uh, moving on to the forwards, um, Harry Wilson is very similar position to, um, Gruyage having spent last season on loan. Uh, there is reported interest from a multitude of Premier League clubs. Um, but the club are, are only open to, to a sale and no loan. So again, we'll have to see how that one develops. Uh, two other players though being linked with moves away and, and two that would be, have been there last season and, and had some involvement are Divock Origi. Reportedly there was a, a rejected bid from Aston Villa. There's also reported interest from Wolves and Shakiri, who was previously linked with Newcastle prior to their failed takeover bid. Um, but there has since been reported interest from Lazio in recent days following their uh, hijacked move to, to uh, sign David Silva. I mean, wh- what are your thoughts on, on those two players, Simon? Do you, do you think we should be cashing in on them? Do, do you think they, they could still have a future with the team? Um, Shaq, I would love us to keep, but he just doesn't seem to be being picked at all. Um, I think he's a fantastic player a really good backup to have off the bench and I think he offers uh, quite a lot and we've only seen little bits of it but he seems to be struggling with injuries or something maybe along the same lines as as we saw with um, with Nathaniel Klein where he just seems to be completely out of favour and I don't know why um, I wonder if it's something to do with his off the pitch attitude I mean he wouldn't really know but he just doesn't seem to get um, as many minutes as you think he would. Um, so, in terms of his talent, I think he's amazing, and he's I think he's only still 26, so he's still quite young. But um, there's no point in really being there if he's not going to be part of the team. So, in that respect, it definitely, I'd be looking to get um, a fair bit. I think you'd be able to get like a, a kind of and a fairly bit, good bit of money for him. Um, it's the fact of his age and his talent. And Rigi is an interesting player. He's like a cult hero. I think he's done what he's gonna do for us. Um he's I think he's I know like I think he's a pretty good player when he doesn't get asked to do too much and when he's put out wide on the left, we see him and uh, not really make much of an impact because he just doesn't have that ability to do what Mane can do. I mean, not many people 
would have that, but there's a huge dip when he's on the pitch instead. When he's through the middle and he's a and he's kind of he doesn't have to work as hard and the ball is fed to him a little bit more, I think he can definitely make more of an impact. So I think a move away to a team like maybe Newcastle, um, even like Brighton or um, a team where he can be a f- focus point of front and play through the middle for him, I think would be ideal um, for us. He has been impactful off the bench, but I just don't think, I think the dip off between him um, and any of our front three is just massive. And I think um, if we can get some money for him and invest that back in either in one person or we can take the money from him and Shaq and maybe buy more of a a well-developed winger who can play across the front, that would be what I would hope we can do with that or just look to... um, bring in a youth player possibly or someone who's more of an up-and-coming talent. But yeah, so I'd say we could see both of them could easily leave. But it is getting quite close to the start of the season. So um, we want to see it happening quite fast, I think. Yeah, so certainly. I mean, um, it would make sense to, to move them both on if our... our um demands are met in, in terms of price tags. Um, but Simon suggested that we, we could look to, to youth for, for a replacement. And I think there, there may be a ready-made replacement for Oregi in the form of Rian Brewster. I mean, what, what's your thoughts to do and what we should do with Brewster this season? Do we loan him out or do we keep him around the squad? I think if Origi is leaving, then I would keep him around the squad. But if Origi is staying, I'd loan him out. I think, um, you know, a season in the Premier League would, would be quite, quite good for his development. Uh, he did really well at Swansea and whether or not, once again, there's always that question with the young players, he can make that jump now to Premier League. Uh, I think, a, uh, I think he'd be better suited to a season on loan, getting game experience. He's had a couple of years at Liverpool training in around, in and around the first team getting ideas from Klopp on how he wants him to play and, and grow. And then now it's for him to go and apply that. And I don't think there would be enough games for him or enough opportunities for him to do that at Liverpool. As, as we've already said, Klopp usually has the favourites in terms of subs. So, for example, I could see Klopp bringing on Origi at times where we'd all be sitting there screaming, let Brewster come on for 10 minutes and run around. I could see Klopp bringing on Origi just because that that's the way Klopp seems to, you know, do things. So I'd rather him go out and learn and get that experience. And then hopefully, you know, by then next season, he's looking to now come in and, and be that backup option to, to the front players. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. It, it does completely depend on, on what kind of competition there is ahead of him in the pecking order. Um, but it is interesting that he's, he's been linked with a multitude of Premier League clubs on loan, including Tottenham in the last few days. So that was a very interesting link. And I suppose it makes some sense given their supposed struggles financially. Um, it, so it will be interesting to see how he gets on in this, albeit short, pre-season and, and what Klopp decides to, to do with him. Um, but th- that about covers the, the forwards and in terms of 
players that are potentially maybe departing and, and where we might need to, to bring someone in. Um, I don't want to spend too long on, on kind of links because, you know, rumors are, are rumors at the end of the day. But one persistent link that I, I think is worth, uh, you know, kind of touching on is the links to Thiago from Bayern Munich. Uh, he has a reported 30 million price tag. He's down to the last 10 of his months of his remaining deal, having refused to sign an extension. And there is reported rival interest from PSG. I'll, I'll stick with you to do, uh, and I, I think a lot of on Thiago potentially hinges on Genie as, as, as you were discussing earlier. Um, is he a player that you think we, we should be looking at? if Genie goes and, and potentially is he a player we should be looking at regardless of, of Wijnaldum's future? I think he's a player that allows the team to evolve to the next level. Um, if, if we're looking at how this team evolves, the next step is to bring in a midfielder that d- demands um, or, you know, demand. If when I say demands respect, you know, it, it's not a slight on the midfielders that we do have, but they're more predominantly water carriers Arguably, Cater and Ox could could be that midfielder, but we haven't seen that from them. Thiago definitely, undoubtedly, is a midfielder that everyone would be scared about in the league. And one of the names that teams would be pointing out when they would be scouting Liverpool. So that would be a, a, a seismic shift for me in terms of how we then develop this dynasty that we're hoping to create, is bringing in a midfielder that just so confident on the ball, can dictate the temper of the game at will, still does all the dirty work in terms of pressing and tackling and running back up and down the pitch. He's got everything for me. Um, if we can bring him in, you know, obviously the age, people say the age is a worry, but for me, um, especially if Genie is going, then it's a no-brainer that, that he has to come in for me. But also just in terms of evolving the club, it, if we want to see where we get better, it's getting a midfielder like Thiago for me. And and I hope that he does come in. I'm not holding my breath because it's not a Liverpool signing. Um, it's not a, a Klopp signing. Um, so everything says it's not a signing we would make. So if we do make it, I'll be pleasantly surprised and I'll be really happy for it. But like I said, I'm not holding my breath for it. Yeah, I certainly will see where you're you're coming from on that because it would be very much um, a step away from what we're used to with Michael Edwards. But certainly, as, as some some have suggested, he is a top class midfielder, and sometimes you simply can't say no to these players. So it will be interesting to see what happens, particularly following the Champions League final on Sunday evening, um, which which Thiago is of course involved in. Um, so I, I think there's there's yet some some uh, parts of this story to evolve. Um, but moving on from from transfers and the squad, just briefly, the the fixtures were released today, and we've found out now that Liverpool will kick off the season at Anfield, hosting newly promoted Leeds United on the 12th of September. Um, are, are you happy with that opening fixture, Simon? And also, you know, is there any other kind of standout runs or or um, kind of notable early fixtures to you? Yeah, I think that's a pretty nice fixture to have first. Um, Leeds are going to be, I think it's going to be a tough match, but it's just kind of always nice to have the opening fixture at home. Um, it should be a good matchup. Um, I think Leeds could be maybe along the same level as Wolves when they 
when they appeared that they could prove to be quite a tough team to break down. Um, but it's kind of hard to know, really, because they're such an iconic team that there is a lot of kind of hype about them just being back up, and they were very good last year, and they've been they've nearly made it back up for like the last four, four like four or five years now as well, and they've just always been kind of there. So it's it's hard to know if it's just that kind of hype about them or if they actually are a very good team. So it will definitely be a tough match, but it will be kind of a a real throwback match anyway. And then in terms of the other rest of fixers, it's a pretty tough opening then with Chelsea and Arsenal, the next two. The one, this might be getting way ahead of myself here, but the one fixture that really stands out to me is Man U at Old Trafford on the 1st of May. And hopefully, uh, if we can do what we did last year, they'll have to, give us a, a nice guard of honour, but that's just me getting way too excited about everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's just me living in dreamland. But yeah, there's nothing else that really stands out. I mean, apart from, um, I think it is going to be a tough opening run and Man City blank in their first week. Um, they don't actually have a match, so it could be nice to just put that three points between us kind of for a little while um, as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, you have to have to play everyone. That's always been my attitude to the fixtures coming out. But that said, it is nice to have that that open day home fixture, particularly against a newly promoted side. I mean, we last year obviously we we played Norwich, and it was a very nice, open, exciting game to watch. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that roll on the 12th of September, and I'll be on here hopefully with a Liverpool and a a, a Leeds fan. To to take you through it afterwards um but i think that about wraps up things nicely for today um I'd like to, to thank the lads for joining me you can follow them on twitter you can follow simon is at hefty horse and tadiwa is at the ace of knaves seven so i recommend definitely following the lads if you aren't already um a- any plugs at all um Obviously, I assume Rate Don't Hate will be back for the coming season to do it. Yeah, well, actually, to round up the season, we've we've got a end of season review that we're going to be doing. I think Kay should be putting up the survey soon, so um, all the subscribers get get your votes in for players of the season and stuff like that. And then from the wrestling side, we did a preview to SummerSlam, which is one of the bigger pay per views this year. So have a listen to that as we give our predictions on who we think is going to be winning and losing the matches. Perfect. I'll certainly be be jumping on that season review. Well, thank you again for for joining me, lads, for for this uh, de- debut hosting of mine. Um, and you know, I'm I'm just looking forward to another exciting season with the Reds and and playing a very small part of it here on on Anfield Index with the show. And as I said, roll on September 12th. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network.